Marcia asked me this morning as we were leaving, she said, why didn't you warn everybody that they needed to wear their steel-toed shoes tonight? And I told her, I said, if I'm going to step on my own toes, I'm going to make sure I get as many other people as I possibly can. Uh, you know, there are some subjects that preachers kind of hesitate to get into, not because they're bad subjects so much, but because of the reaction they're liable to get when they talk about them. You know, modest dress is one of those things, and another one is the subject of giving. You know, usually when a preacher gets into giving, first thing pops into people's heads is, oh no, the preacher's wanting to raise. And another one is the tongue. And the tongue especially is, is one of those subjects that it's hard to get into uh, a lot of the time. And that's because <clears throat> it is so easy to make mistakes with it. Uh, I, I am a firm believer that you can tell something about the relative importance of a subject in the Bible by how often it's talked about. Now, not that there are unimportant subjects in the Bible, uh, I think what it is, is is God knows that there are certain subjects that it's going to take more work to get it through our heads uh, and have us understand it a little bit better. Uh, so he, he addresses those subjects more often. Uh, and the subject of speech is one of those things you find all over the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament both. Uh, you know, in, in the book of James, we know, and normally when we're thinking about uh, the subject of the tongue and the things that we say, you know, the first thing that most people think about is James chapter 3. You know, James spends the majority of that chapter talking about how difficult it is to tame the tongue. But the thing is, is, is if, if, you, if you back up a little bit and you think about it, a lot of New Testament books have kind of an underlying theme. Uh, it's something that's not really right out front, but it's something that occurs fairly often throughout the book. And the tongue is one of those. You start out in James chapter 1, in verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And then a little bit later, verse 26, that was read for us just a moment ago, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And this is one I, I really want you to remember, because this one is speaking to us specifically. How do Christians talk? What kind of things do they say? Uh, in chapter 2, verse 12, so speak. And so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. And of course, when he gets into chapter 3, he spends the majority of his time there talking about the tongue and the difficulty in taming it. And it is difficult. It's extremely difficult for us to control our tongue. It's one of those things, it is there on a hair trigger and it can go off at any time. And you can say something that you really wish you hadn't said. And in a lot of different ways. I'm not t talking about, you know, somebody's out working somewhere and they accidentally hit their thumb instead of the nail. And something pops out of their mouth before they think about it. That's, that's not necessarily the only thing we've got to worry about. You know, there are other things. Uh, somebody talks about somebody and before you know it, pop right out of your mouth comes something you know about them that you shouldn't have said. 
And, and one of the really dangerous parts about this whole thing is because we can be judged by what we say, by other people, and by God. And th th there are some things in, in Scripture that, uh, to my mind, are absolutely terrifying. You know, people don't like to think of God as being scary, but he can be. And there are some things in Scripture that are really, really scary things when you stop and think about them. One of them's found in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, Jesus said, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. By every idle word. Jesus is not saying, again, we talked about that a little bit this morning, but Jesus is not saying that God is just looking for any little excuse to condemn us. That is not the case, quite the opposite, as a matter of fact. But the point that Jesus is making is you can tell what a person is on the inside by the things that come out of their mouth. And especially the things that come out of their mouth in idle conversation. You know, we have a habit of speaking in different ways depending on the audience that we're talking to. One of the things that I remember from way, way, way back when uh, is you could be around a group of, of young men, uh, you know, that, a bunch of rough people, and they talked like a bunch of rough people. And sometimes, though, they would, they would be talking like that, and one of them would punch one of the guys, and he'd say, hey, hey, there's a woman coming. And if a lady walked by, they changed the way they talked. They didn't use those words anymore. You know, it didn't matter how, how rough and tough they were, how, how rude and, and profane they were, if a lady walked by, you just didn't talk that way. And so they would change the way they talked. Nowadays, it's the women that talk that way, so, you know, it's not a big deal to anybody anymore. But they would change the way they talked depending on who could hear them. And so when Jesus is talking about every idle word, he's talking about the words you say, the things that you say when you're not paying attention to what you're saying when you're not gearing it toward a particular audience. Just the things that normally, naturally come out of your mouth. That's what he's saying. Because at times like that, what you are on the inside will show in the things that you say. And so Jesus is saying that we, God can tell what kind of a person we are by the kind of things we say. And so what you have to do is, is you have to do some reprogramming. The human mind is a, a biological computer. It really, really is. I think it's a fascinating thing that I, I saw something fairly recently. They had some really new, really high-speed computer. It's the absolute uh, pinnacle of technology. And they tried to get it to do what the human brain can do in five seconds. And it took it 30 minutes. And that's the best thing we can come up with. Yeah, but didn't the brain just happen by accident? It just evolved on its own. It's one of the silliest things you can ever hear. But it is a computer in a way, and as a computer, it can be reprogrammed. 
you can develop habits. You can break habits. It's hard to do. I think uh, the last thing I heard is somebody said it takes about 3,000 repetitions to really get a habit firmly set, you know, to have it where it's done automatically, but it'll take about the same amount to break a habit. So every time you say something you ought not say, you have to start thinking, I don't need to say that anymore. That's something I don't need to say. Or vice versa, some things that maybe you do need to say. But we can be judged by our speech. And there, there are, are a variety of different things that the Bible talks about as far as speech that is unacceptable. And one of them, and this may not be the one that you think about first, but one of them is profanity. Now, profanity in the Bible is not the same thing that we normally think about. What it's talking about is using things in a profane way. And what that is, is if you use something that is holy for a common everyday purpose. You remember this morning we were talking about Nadab and Abihu in, in Leviticus chapter 10. It said they used profane fire. They were supposed to use holy fire taken from the altar. They didn't. They got common, ordinary, everyday fire. It was profane fire. So profane is when you take something that is holy and you use it for a plain, ordinary purpose. Think about Daniel chapter 5. In the, uh, the opening verses of Daniel, you find out that Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, have conquered Judah. Uh, they have taken a lot of the people of Judah to Babylon. And among the things that they also took were they took a lot of the things out of the temple. All of these things that were made to be used in service to God. These were special things. They were made to be put in the temple, and that was the only thing they were supposed to be used for. And Nebuchadnezzar took them. But Nebuchadnezzar took them back to Babylon, and he put them in the temple of his God. He paid them the proper respect. And that's where they stayed. But you get into to, uh, Daniel chapter 5, and Belshazzar, who succeeded Nebuchadnezzar, is having a big party, and he decides that he's going to get those, those uh, sacred implements, and he's going to bring them out of the temple of their god, and he's going to use them for his nobles to drink out of. They're having a big wine party, and he wants those things to be brought in to show what a, a big shot he is. And everybody remembers the story about the hand that appears and it writes on the wall, mene, mene, tikal aparshin. And he's, ooh, what, what, what is this? And somebody finally goes and gets Daniel, who by this time is, is an older man, and he tells him, you have been weighed in the balances, you have been found wanting, and this night your kingdom is going to be taken away from you, given to the Medes and Persians, and you're going to die because of what he did. He profaned holy objects. So when you're talking about profanity, what you're talking about is using sacred things in a common, ordinary way. And people do it all the time. They use the word God, or the word Lord, or the word Jesus, or the word Christ. And it comes out of their word as a placeholder. They don't mean anything by it. But it doesn't matter that they don't mean anything by it. They are using holy things in a profane way. 
And you know what God said about that? Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7, he said, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. He will not hold him guiltless. You take the name of God in vain, God is going to punish you for it. And, and there are people who do it all the time. There, I, I, I said something this morning about, I, I tend to be a little nitpicky about some things. And, and there was somebody that, that used to use, you know, as a placeholder. And they'd say it about every third word. You know, I was going to do this, you know, and then, well, this happened, and you know. And uh, it, it was one of those things that started to bother me a lot more than it really ought to have. And then after a while, I started, when they'd start talking, I'd start going. They said, what are you doing? I said, I'm counting how many times you use, you know, in a sentence, and I'm running out of fingers. You need to quit. And, and actually, they took it the right way, and they did. But there are some people who will use the word Lord or the word God or the word Jesus or the word Christ in exactly the same way. It drives me crazy. Can you not think about what you're saying? Can you not hold God on a little bit higher plane than that? Don't try to drag him down as something that, that is, is ordinary, that's plain and average, because he's not. He's the creator of the universe. He's the one that holds us in the palm of his hand. Treat him with respect. And that, that is one of the things, like I said, we don't normally think about that as being one of the big problems with the way people talk, but it is. It's a really big one. We don't need to do that. The second one, and this is one that is a, uh, an issue for a couple of reasons, but it's lying. That's an obvious one. First thing anybody thinks about when you're talking about sins of the tongue is people who lie. And that's not a bad thing to think about, but there are some people who don't understand what a lie is. I've known some people, and they had the best motives in the world, but they thought that any time they told you something that turned out not to be true, that they had lied to you. If they said, I'll be over at your house at 8 o'clock in the morning, and they, they got up and they had a flat tire, and it was 8.30 before they got there, I'm sorry, I lied to you. Well, no, you didn't. You had every intention of being here. The just circumstances got in the way, and you didn't make it. Or if they, they tell you, well, you know, we're supposed to get together on, on Tuesday the 7th, and it turns out, oh, no, I misheard. It's supposed to be Wednesday the 8th. Well, I lied to you. you no, know, you didn't. You were mistaken. You thought you were telling me something that was right. You just were mistaken. That's not a lie. A lie requires conscious purpose. You have to know what you're doing. And you have to do it on purpose. Because if you're not doing that, then it's not a lie. You're mistaken. But even sometimes when you do something that's not technically a lie, it really is. And everybody knows sometime or other when this has happened. The phone rings and somebody says, who is it? It's so-and-so. Oh, I don't want to talk to them. And they go step outside and tell them I just left. And as soon as they hang up the phone, they step back in. 
they know what they're doing. And they're trying to work it around so, well, yes, I deceived them, but technically I didn't lie. Well, yeah, you did. It was a lie. It was done on purpose. It was done for the purpose of deceiving people, and that is a lie. You can't do that. Uh, but people do it all the time. And, and I think that the habit that we have of dividing sins or, or lies up into big black lies or little white lies is one of the reasons in uh, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. It says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, he said all liars. He didn't say all cowardly. He didn't say all unbelieving. He didn't say all abominable or all murderers, or all sexually immoral, or all sorcerers, or all idolaters, but he did all liars. Now, why? God doesn't do things by accident. He does it for a reason. So why did he stick that word in there on liars, but not all the rest of them? It's because everybody understands all the rest of them are sinners, Everybody understands that. You know, if, if, if you're sexually immoral, you're a sinner. No ifs, ands, ors, or buts. But liars, well, no, I just told little white lies. That's all I did. It wasn't big lies. I wasn't trying to take advantage of anybody. I was just trying to get out of a little trouble. Surely that's not a bad thing. Yes, it is. Now, that doesn't mean you have to tell everything you know. Uh, one of my favorite sayings in all the world is it is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Sometimes the best thing you can do is keep your mouth shut. You are not responsible for what you don't say. Now, there are some people who have tried to work around this in other ways. In, in the Catholic Church, you've got mental reservation. And what that means is what comes out of my mouth may technically not be true, but I'm thinking the truth in my mind and says God can read my mind that I'm okay. Doesn't work that way. The Muslims have Altakaya. Altakaya is a doctrine that says as long as you're trying to advance the cause of Islam uh, and you're trying to protect Muslims, you can tell the biggest, blackest lie in the whole wide world and Allah will not hold you responsible for it, which again is not true. But some people have all kinds of, of creative, interesting ways to try to work their way around telling lies. You've got to remember, you can't get away with that kind of stuff. Mental reservation, altakia, telling things that are technically true when you're trying to deceive people, it's still a lie. You can't do that. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. Proverbs 19.5. Gossip. Gossip is another big one. When you talk about gossip, you know, you tell somebody, you know, you, you shouldn't gossip like that. And they'll say, well, what are you talking about? I would never tell anything about somebody that wasn't true. Well, what's that got to do with anything? You were still gossiping. But I didn't say anything that wasn't true. 
it's still gossip because you didn't have to say it. That's one of the things, tail-bearing is the way it's oftentimes referred to in Scripture. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, A tail-bearer reveals secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit conceals the matter. What did he say? A tail-bearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals the matter. When you're, when you're talking about people... I think everybody's heard this at one time or another. I think it's a really good checklist to go by. If, if you're going to say something about someone else, number one, is it true? And do you personally, of your own knowledge, know that it's true? Not because it came through somebody else or somebody else and somebody else. You know, it's not something that a friend of a friend of a friend told you. You personally know it to be true yourself. You saw it. You heard it. Then you know it's true. If it came through somebody else, maybe they were mistaken. You don't know. You've got to give the benefit of the doubt. But do you personally know that it's true? Secondly, would it do any good to say it? Is it going to do good for you to say it? If it won't, don't say it. I guarantee you that every single solitary one of us had some things in our lives, maybe years ago, that we don't want anybody else to know about. God has forgiven us for them. Maybe nobody else knows, we hope, but we just don't want anybody else to know them, and nobody else needs to. So you don't go around saying, hey, do you know what I know about them? You know, does it need to be said? All you're going to do is damage somebody's reputation for no purpose whatsoever. Makes no sense. But is it true? Is it going to do any good? Does it need to be said? Because there are some things that just don't need to be said. Again, remain silent. People may not think you know anything, and that's one of the biggest reasons people gossip. You know it? They like to be known as somebody who knows things. I know some things, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, but don't tell anybody else. And I, I've got a, a, a word of wisdom for you here. A gossip cannot exist in a vacuum. They can't. There has to be a gossip who's talking, and there has to be somebody who's listening. And if anybody starts the conversation out with, you wouldn't believe what I heard, or, you know, this is just between me and you, or, now, I'll tell you this, but don't tell anybody else. If they start off like that, say, well, if other people don't need to know it, you don't need to be telling me. I don't need to know it. Do I need to know it? If I need to know it, tell me. But if I don't, don't, because I don't want to hear it. A gossip cannot exist where nobody's going to listen. They can't do it. So just quit listening. Let them go talk to somebody else if they want to. Slander. Slander is one of those things, again, it's where you're talking about other people. And it's usually in a way that you, you are going to harm their reputation in some way or other. And it's because you don't like them for one reason or another. And it's something that we can't do. Even if that's a bad person, you don't go around talking bad about them. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
Paul says, beginning in verse 1, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Now listen to the way people are going to be. It makes you think a whole lot about maybe he was thinking about today. But for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and get this, verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. He's not talking about worldly people that you find out at a bar someplace. He says they have a form of godliness. These are people that claim to be Christians. And look at that list of really, really bad character traits. And among them is their slanderers. They go around talking about people. And they will tell anybody that listens things about other people just to drag them down. You know, there are two ways you can make yourself feel good about yourself. You can either lift yourself up or pull other people down. And to a lot of people, it's easier to drag other people down than it is to pick themselves up. So they'll do that. Make other people look bad or, or as bad as they can so that they'll feel good about themselves. Well, I'm at least as good as they are. Look at all the things they did. But God says we can't do that. You know, we have all kinds of warnings against specifics. Uh, we talked about profanity, about lying, about gossip, about slander. But when you think about the, the warnings against evil speech in general, this is kind of a, a broad category, and it's one of those things that's a little bit hard to pin down sometimes as far as exactly what you're talking about. But usually, I think the, the best way that I know of to think about evil speaking is it's anything that you say that is going to harm your influence as a Christian. Anything that you say that other people hear that will make them think less of you as a Christian. And there are, I guarantee you, there are people out there, uh, some of them are members of denominations, some of them have never been, they've never darkened a, a church house door of any kind. And they listen to everything you say and they watch everything you do, hoping you're going to mess up. Because then they can say, well, why should I be a church-going person? That person is, and I'm just as good as they are. Look at what they did or listen to what they said. People watch. They listen. And they're hoping you're going to mess up. And anything that you do or anything that you say that harms your influence as a Christian is a bad thing. It reflects on Christ. It reflects on the church. There was a, a man that I knew several years ago and I'd known him for a while uh, and I worked the second shift uh, he was working first shift and I came in one day and they had a, a cassette recorder it tells you how long ago it was but they had a cassette recorder and it was playing acapella religious music and I thought well that's odd and he said yeah that that's that's me leading singing uh, at this congregation and I thought, okay, what's the punchline? I know this is a joke of some kind, and I'm not going to help him with it. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to wait and see, because eventually he'll get tired of me waiting, and he'll come out with the punchline. It's got to be a joke. And the reason I felt that way is because I had listened to the man talk for several months. 
and he used to do what what my mother uh, used to describe as uh, he would talk in a way that would shame a drunken sailor. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I can't think of anything that didn't come out of his mouth. And I've been around the block once or twice. I've heard a lot. And I thought, this has got to be a joke. It wasn't. He was leading singing in a congregation of the Lord's Church. And I thought, uh, there's something wrong here somewhere really bad. But that's the kind of thing, and you don't have to be at that kind of a level, but it just when you say things that you ought not to say, whether it's gossip or, or whether it's uh, slander uh, or using the name of God in vain or anything else like that, people listen to that. It's going to reflect on Christians, on Christ, on the church. And we have to be very, very careful about that kind of thing. We have got to be the kind of people that are, are going to uh, adorn the doctrine of Christ. Because if we're not, we're going to be in trouble. Over in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 17, Paul said, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk or live your life as a practice, as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off Concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We were talking about reprogramming your mind so you can get rid of the bad habits and, 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 and put in some good ones. That you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, therefore putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor." For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather, rather let him work with, his, uh, work with his hands. What is good that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let, lo, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification. You don't tear people down, you build them up. That it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. How many times there does he talk about sins of the tongue? And he says, don't do them. You are to reprogram your mind and be a better person than you were. And a lot of that is shown by the way that you talk, by the things that you say and the things that you don't say. That's the point that Paul is making there. That's what the new man does. I mean, there are a lot of other things included in there, including don't steal and a lot of other such things. But a lot of that has a, a direct influence, a direct impact on the kind of things we say. We've got to be careful as Christians to say 
proper things. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Speak properly. Now, again, you know, when you go back over into James chapter 3, one of the things that James makes absolutely clear is that's hard. It is difficult. James talks about all of the kinds of animals that we have tamed. Think about that for a minute. You have people who will take a, a you know, thousand pound predator in the sea and make it do tricks. They take killer whales and make them do tricks. And they could take you, I mean, they swallow you whole one bite. 1,500 pound grizzly bear. The guy pets it like it's a big dog. People have taken all kinds of really big, powerful animals and tamed them. And James talks about that. And he says, but you can't tame the tongue. You may be able to claim, uh, tame a grizzly bear or a killer whale, but you will never, ever be able to tame your tongue to the point that you can turn your back, figuratively speaking, on it. In other words, you're going to have to be careful every day from now on with what you say. But if you do that, you can develop the habit of saying the right things and not saying the wrong things. And it reflects on us as Christians. We need to be very, very careful to do that. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You want to love life and see good days? Watch what you say. It may be that there's someone here this evening that needs to respond to the Lord's invitation. If you're not a Christian, God, through his grace and mercy, has given you another opportunity to do so. You could come forward confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and you could be baptized to have your sins washed away. If you're an erring child of God, you need to go to God in prayer, confess your sin to him from a repentant heart, and ask him to forgive you, and he's promised to do that. Or it might be that you're here and you just need to come forward and ask for the prayers of those that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, would you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing? <laughs>